You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, this is it, the final installment of the offense. We've got interior offensive line today. We're going to be looking at Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, John Runyon, Sean Ryan, Jake Hansen, Royce Newman, Chuck Fliaga and DJ Scaife. So, and again, offensive linemen tend to move around. If you disagree with where they're at, it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with anything. We're just going through every single player. Guys get put into groups and then we talk about them. In fact, we're going to cover that specific detail, where they've played, what their versatility is or isn't, etc., etc. Real quick touching on the news, there really is very little to none. But we'll just touch on a couple things that are going on. Uh, number one, Pat, uh, not Pat McAfee, he was on the Pat McAfee show. Adam Schefter commented on Trey Lance, basically saying the guy's got no trademark. He said the 49ers aren't looking to trade him, which I guess why would you if you're not going to get anything for him? You might as well hang on to him, see if he can develop into something. But the fact that that's even a conversation at this point is is hilarious. But, I, and, and yes, this is me just trying to comfort myself, make no mistake about it. But it really just goes back to, We know who the good quarterbacks are, we know who the bad quarterbacks are, and we don't generally have a lot of faith that they're going to become something much better than what they are. And this brings us back to Fields, who is the one guy on planet Earth that we all expect is just going to massively take a leap. And again, you can point to uh, Jalen Hurts if you want, that isn't the same situation. He took a big jump from year one to year two, and then another jump from year two to year three. Fields went backwards. Josh Allen is basically the only example of a guy that, you know, Kind of a mid-ish first-rounder, I think. Didn't really show a ton, although he was better than Justin Fields. And then they went out and got him a wide receiver, and bing, bang, boom, he's looking great. A significantly better wide receiver than DJ Moore, but yes. But anyways, I find that funny because Trey Lance is another guy that I was down on and caught flack for. So I, I, let me tell you this. If, I, if, if somebody comes into the NFL and I say, this person is really bad, and I get a ton of backlash... I'm going to beat people over the face with that for as long as I possibly can. Because it happens a lot. He's not actually that good. What are you talking about? A year later, <laughs> they, they couldn't trade him if they tried. Okay, yeah, exactly. Uh, Rogers did his psychedelics conference thing. Um, sounds like it's a lot of the same that we've been hearing for a long time from Aaron Rodgers, or at least the last couple of years. He... Uh, essentially has changed as a person and credits the drugs. I don't know. I'm not him, but I have a feeling that has nothing to do with it. I think he got in with a new crowd and a new way of thinking and a bunch of tree huggers and uh, just changes the way he acts and dresses and smells probably. But again, he talks about self-love and all this stuff, which I think is nonsense. He is not a content person. He is not a happy person. He flies off the rails. He is bitter. He is angry. He is spiteful. Not all the time. I'm sure he's a nice... But, but again, we, we witnessed this over the last couple months. Things like refusing to pick up phone calls from Brian Gutekunst. Why? In his own words, because I talk to people that I like. And he had to come back to play football. Why? To prove everybody wrong. This isn't self-love. 
in a way, it's like a deep form of insecurity to not feel comfortable enough to walk away and say, nah, say what you want. Oh, you think I'm washed? That's cute. I'm going to go enjoy the rest of my life and go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks in, in the history of football. Couldn't do it, though. So, again, I, I think that this is the way that he likes to talk. He's in with a new group. And you see this when people get in with groups. They start talking like the group and saying things like the group and acting like the group. As far as the drugs themselves, I, I personally, I don't really care all that much. I don't really know. I don't really want mass consumption of ayahuasca, considering it makes you just poop yourself. And I think we've got enough of that with this, you know, drug addicts on the streets. Yes, it's great for a multimillionaire to fly off to a mountain where he can be in a controlled environment to be able to do it. But, you know, it's just going to lead to a further degradation of society, which is kind of the whole issue. Not that this care anybody cares, but I'm torn on the drug thing overall. There's like that libertarian side that's like, just let them do whatever they want. They're not hurting anybody, even though they kind of are. But then it's like, yeah, but it's just, it's a negative, it's a net negative, you know? The society just degrades, and we celebrate it because, you know, freedom. Yeah, all right, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I think what would be better is if everyone had the freedom to be a degenerate and chose not to. <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of people popping gummies right now just getting pissed. You guys are fine, you're not hurt, I don't care about you. It's just, you know, everything else, I think. But anyways, he got to have fun being the thought leader of this thoughtless nonsense. And then two little tidbits on the Green Bay Packers. Preston Smith talked a little bit about the defense and helping Jordan Love. Quote, with so much talent on our defense, we know we have to step it up. I, you know, if you're going to transcribe this stuff, spell it properly. It's not a log, it's a lot. And knowing we have a young quarterback, we have to be tremendous this year. We have to make sure we step up and do our part to help Love get comfortable out there on the field, help him get the ball in great situations, get stops to let him get comfortable back there, and make sure we put him in great situations. It's not just about putting us in great situations. He loves him some great situations. But helping us be comfortable to put him in great situations. You know what else they could do? They could put him in great situations. Anyways, he says that about nine more times. Uh, <laughs> but that is, that is a really good point. You know, We talk about how good is Jordan Love going to be, but... It depends on other factors. Depends on how good Matt LaFleur is going to be. It depends on how good our offensive line is going to be. It depends on our running backs and our wide receivers and even our defense because, you know, playing from behind is harder than playing with a lead. Playing at your own five-yard line is harder than playing at, you know, the 50-yard line. It's the one thing that makes me think Aaron Rodgers is actually going to take a step back despite the other part of me that thinks he's going to win MVP again, and it's that offensive line. It's really bad. One little thing, because I just came across this. I don't know where this is coming from. Um, I don't know if this is a... Is this a new article? It might actually be in the same article, or, or one of the articles talking about Rodgers and his whole thing, but <laughs> this freaking guy, man. Somebody by the name of Kevin Clark put this on Twitter. He says, LaFleur hated the cold until Aaron Rodgers taught him to embrace it a few years ago. When I asked Rodgers about it, he dropped a, our words are spells. And I'm sitting here thinking, what the heck does that mean? But apparently Rodgers would talk about how Matt LaFleur would put on a ludicrous amount of layers before winter games, and he kept talking about the cold while addressing the team late in the season. Aaron set me straight, LaFleur said. Here's what Rodgers said. It's a mindset. I always felt like it was a belief that you could really lock in an advantage. Whether it's real or not doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to your brain, doesn't matter to your body. If we believe it, that becomes the reality. We practice in life. We live in this. I promise you... The other team is colder than we are. It's important to really think about how we talk because our words are spells and we need to make sure that we're manifesting through our words the reality we want to achieve. God, that is the... And, and now he's talking about witchcraft. This is the dumbest crap. Oh. <laughs> they brought it up because apparently in the article or in, in the speech he said this quote, You know words are so interesting. They have such power in their spells. There's a reason it's called spelling. Because the way that the letters are put together have such power. Oh boy. Just so we're clear, this is Googleable. Said in most etymology sources to be from Anglo-French espeller, espeyer, whatever. Old French espelier. To mean, signify, explain, interpret. Also, spell out letters, pronounce, recite. The native cognate word is Old English, spellion, spillion, to talk, tell, speak, discourse. There's a lot of stuff in here, but nothing has to do with casting frickin' witchcraft spells, okay? Good lord, Rogers. 
Anyways, getting to our uh, final Packers note. CBS, which is filled with idiots, only put one Green Bay Packers player in the top 100 players. That one is Jair Alexander. Now, to be fair, I haven't tried to put together a top 100, and maybe there's not as many Packers as I would have expect. Maybe I should do that. That might be fun. But I can tell you Aaron Jones would be on the list, with absolute certainty. Rashawn Gary would very likely be on that list. They had honorable mentions of Elton Jenkins and Christian Watson. I don't think Watson would be on the list, but I appreciate the shout-out, I guess. Elton Jenkins is a maybe. Where the heck is David Bakhtiari? Right? I just said yesterday. Even in a down year, he was, what, 12th? Top five pass blocker still? Whatever. Again, this is just, this is a... I think what's going to happen until the Packers can prove otherwise is that essentially the Packers are going to be rounded down. It's like was mentioned before. Everything is about appealing to the larger markets. And now that they don't have to bend the knee to Aaron Rodgers, they're gleefully choosing not to do so and are putting people in front of Packers players that absolutely shouldn't be put in front of Packers players. And it further just gives the impression outwardly that the Packers are not something to be respected. Like, for example, the Kansas City Chiefs, as you would expect, had like five guys on their list, including Tyron Matthew, who does not belong on this top 100 list. The Buffalo Bills, they put Micah Hyde on the list. Why? Micah Hyde hasn't been that dude in a couple years. Because it's the Buffalo Bills, that's why. And you gotta have a bunch of Bills on the list. I mean, man, I'm just, I'm just looking toward the end of the list here. Nah, man. Like, like Dalvin Cook is on the list. Dalvin Cook! Dalvin Cook! My good lord! We have two running backs better than that guy. Patrick Peterson, what? Chris Godwin, what has he done? Maybe, you know what, put Christian Watson back on this list. And then they got Amon Ross St. Brown all the way down here at 83. Nope, he should, he should not be in the same conversation as uh, Cameron Curl. And of course, Tyron freaking Matthew, who will always and forever be seen as a top 100 player every single year of his career, despite the fact that I don't know if he ever has been, maybe once. Oh, they put Justin Fields at 78. Oh, who did, who, did Pete Prisco did this? I thought I liked Pete Prisco. Good Lord, I, can't, I want the season to start so bad. Justin Fields has no excuses anymore. At li- but now, with more help around him, his passing ability should show big-time growth. Yep. Yep, it should. Big time. And if it doesn't, everybody's getting smacked. Pete, I love you, man. This list is trash. Number 78, Justin Fields, I'm going to throw it right in your face. Good Lord. Austin Eckler. I mean, this guy is just... I swear, some of these guys are just in, like, a time warp. They love the big-name guys, you know, that, um, like, Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara. I don't know that Alvin Kamara doesn't belong on the list, but it's like, because your name is Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara, you have to be on the list. Brian Burns? Oh, I hate you. Hassan Reddick? He had a billion sacks, I guess, but come on, guys. Christian Derrissaw is number 56, and David Bakhtiari isn't. Christian Derrissaw is fine. I'm not, I'm not even, I, I don't mind that he's even, but he's number 56, and we don't have one offensive lineman on the list? This is, this is such a weird list. This is, this is a, and again, I usually put Pete and the guy, these, who is Pete and the other guy, they usually do a pretty good job when I watch their videos on YouTubes, but this is a media list. This is 100% a, I don't really look at the numbers aside from like the, the raw data, the yards, the touchdowns, the sacks. And I know the big names, and I'm going to make a list out of it. Got Derrick Henry all the way up here at 30, which feels a little bit high. But 1,500 yards, 13 touchdowns, that's all that matters. Got TJ Watt at 11. He took a step back. Nobody cares. Yeah, this is not good. I should do it. Top 100. 17 Packers on the list. <laughs> Anyways, that's it. That's all that's going on. out there. Again, it's just, it's wading through garbage. Should we get started, Elton Jenkins? Let's do it. All right, Mr. Elgerton Jenkins somehow is already going into year five. I feel like the guy just got here. 27 years old, 6'5", 3'11", 2019 second round pick. Elton Jenkins got off to somewhat of a slow start, but not that anybody even noticed because after year one, everybody was locked in and in love with the guy. Um, He primarily did play left guard. He played two snaps at left tackle, one at right guard, one at right tackle, 1,084 snaps. Um, as a rookie at left guard. He had a 69 overall grade, which for a rookie, again, is really not that bad, but a 72.6 
pass blocking grade, which is the most important. Zero sacks, one hit, 23 pressures. Comes back year two. Again, primarily left guard, 827 snaps, but almost 300 snaps at center, 27 at left tackle, 32 at right tackle. Another guy that, you know, it's good to have the versatility, but it really is hard on these guys to not be able to just let them play in one spot. Anyways, he actually went backwards with a 66 overall grade. However, his pass blocking went up to a 74.6. He gave up one sack, two hits, and 17 hurries. Only 20 pressures compared to 24. And his penalties went down from 10 to 5. Then in 2021, he had his breakout season. Unfortunately, it was a season cut short. That was the season he played left tackle. At left tackle, he went from a 66 overall grade to an 82 overall grade. His run blocking went from a 61 to a 76, and his pass blocking went from a 74 to an 81. His week-to-week grades, which were wildly consistent with the exception of one game against Detroit, well, I guess Chicago too if you look at the pass blocking, but it was 90, this is overall, 90, 56, 65, 75, 74, 81, 70, 70. Every snap with the exception of one came at left tackle tackle, which is why I've been pushing left tackle. It was by far his best year, but he did go out. He played only weeks one and two, didn't come back until week six, which makes sense. Week two would presumably be the week that he got hurt. He had a low grade. Week six was his first week back. That was his other semi-low grade. Then he played seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and went out again. Then 2022, he comes back in week two. As we know, he plays right tackle. Doesn't really get into the swing of things until week five, although it was a short-lived thing, so I don't even know if he was in the swing of things, because he went right back down to a 54 and then a 50 overall grade. So let's do it this way. At right tackle, 58, 66, 67, 85, 54. Then they moved him to left guard. It was 50, 70, 50, 60, 70, 80, 80, 60, 60, 50. So not exactly the best consistency in the world. Obviously, there's some returning from injury things. Seemed to do better at left guard, but just kind of in spurts. He had one, two, three, four good games. But he ended okay with a 72 overall grade, 72 run blocking, and 67.8 pass blocking, which was his worst by a pretty wide margin. With that said, the vast majority of his bad pass blocking came when he played right tackle. He did have a couple bad left guard games, 41 against Washington, 47 against Dallas, and then a couple 60s at the end of the season. Everything else was in the 80s. He ended up giving up three sacks. We gave up one in 2020, two in 2021, and three in 2022, but only 17 pressures. So I, I, I used to be of the opinion that the further inside you get Elton Jenkins, the better he's going to be. Elton Jenkins has talked about how his preference is to be on the left side. The absolute best and by a mile that we've ever seen him was at left tackle. Now, 2021 is not 2022, and a lot of the team struggled in 2022, so it could be other extenuating circumstances. But I think the two positions I'd like to see him at would be left guard and left tackle, maybe center in a pinch. I'm hoping he gets a little bit of a better season at left guard than he had last year, especially considering he has the whole year rather than, you know, coming back a little bit late from injury and then struggling to get into the groove of things and playing right tackle and then switching to left guard. Just put him at left guard, leave him there. Let's assess the season. Hopefully he can get through healthy. And then at age 28, hopefully we could figure out where to use him best, which again, very frustrating component to having this guy move around so much. 28 years old, he's pushing 30, and we still don't even know where to put him. And again, I'm not positive that moving him to left tackle uh, next year after Bakhtiari leaves isn't the best possible option. In fact, I would be stunned if it isn't. You could say, well, I think Zach Tom would be fine. Number one, I would be surprised if he's better than Elton Jenkins. And number two, Elton Jenkins doesn't want to be on the right side, so who's our right tackle? Yash Nyman? I don't think so. I think Elton Jenkins and Zach Tom would be our best tackles. Yeah, we'd have to figure some stuff out, as, but move John Runyon, who is a pass blocker, back to left guard and put Royce in or at right guard or something. I, I, I just think it's better than Yash or draft a guard. I, I don't know. But it's, it is just frustrating not being able to see enough. Right? Two years of good. Then he was about to have his big breakout year, and he gets injured. And then he kind of takes a step back, injury, changing positions, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, man, freaking year five, and I don't have a clear picture of what Elton Jenkins is. All right, why don't we move on to John Runyon. I was going to do Josh Myers, but I know that's a, that's a juicy one, so we'll save that one for a little bit. Johnny Runyon, 6'4", 307, Michigan Wolverines, 2026th round pick. Basically started for the Packers for the last two years. 
2021, he was a left guard, played almost the entire season there, 1,105 snaps, two snaps at left tackle, one at right guard, one at right tackle, and is one of the more consistent football players on the entire team. Not necessarily in a good way, but, you know, consistent enough. Um, Really bad run blocker, 57.4 grade. He's got a ton of games that are just really, really bad. When you look at the grades and if you watch the tape, it's a lot of the same. Um, especially in 2022, but had a 72 pass blocking grade, which is great. Two sacks, three hits, 16 hurries, 21 total pressures. 2022, he played about a third of his snaps at left guard and then two-thirds at right guard. He went down from a 57 to a 53 run blocking grade, but up from a 72 to a 77 pass blocking grade. He became much more consistent with his grades, only had two bad pass blocking games the entire year. But the run blocking, again, got even worse. He had a, it was in the 30s week one against uh, Minnesota, 40s against Tampa, 30s against the Jets, 40s against Buffalo, and 40s against Minnesota again. His run blocking is a serious problem. But again, what do you do? You get rid of a, one of the better pass blocking guards in football because he can't run block like once every four games or three games? Maybe, I don't know. And again, a guy that's been moved around quite a bit. You know, even even year one, when he only played 161 snaps, he played 130 at left guard and 20 at right guard. Then he moves to left guard. Then he plays a little bit of left guard and then moves him to right guard. If you're asking if there's a difference between left and right for him, there seems to be if you look at 2020. His pass blocking was better when he was a left guard, but his run blocking was worse. Then you go over to right guard, looks like his pass blocking took a little bit of a dip, but his run blocking improved, which... You know, it's a little bit of an old school way of thinking, I think. I don't know that it necessarily correlates, but in my mind, the left guard is a pass blocking guard and the right guard is more of a road grading run blocking guard. John Runyon's a pass blocker. I would prefer to see him on the left side, but that's where Elton Jenkins is, but I'd rather see him at left tackle. So I know Bakhtiari is there, but when he leaves, I have a pretty firm grasp of what I'd like to see happen moving forward. But not a ton else here. I mean, he's about as straightforward as they come. He's a reliable pass blocker. He is a very unreliable run blocker. It's a really tough call as far as what you do. You would love to see a guy that can run block better than him. I don't really have a ton of hope that he's going to improve. He only had four good games as a run blocker last year, grade-wise. I think he just is what he is. And so, you know, it's one of those things you keep taking swings, and if you eventually find a stud, great. But the problem is, if you do end up moving Elton Jenkins, that stud plays alongside John Runyon, doesn't replace John Runyon. So you kind of need two studs, because at the end of the day, you will not go backwards pass blocking, and it's going to be hard to find two guys that are better pass blockers than Runyon. So I, I just feel like he's he's here to stay, unless and until his pass blocking takes a step back. But, I mean, the guy's not even 26 years old yet. I don't see that being a thing. But we'll see. But all right, let's get to Mr. Josh Myers. So for reference, Josh Myers graded out very similarly to John Runyon. In fact, it's nearly identical. Uh, They both had 53 run blocking grades. John Runyon, 77 pass blocking. Josh Myers, 74. So pretty solid pass blocking. And again, until somebody can step in and pass block better than he can, he's not going to lose his job. I don't think we have anybody that's going to pass block better than he can, so I don't think he's going to lose his job. I think there's a lot of hype about there being a competition, and I don't think there's going to be a competition. I think the biggest difference between Myers and Runyon from a run-blocking standpoint, even pass-blocking, honestly, is Myers is much more consistent. He doesn't have the highs, but he doesn't have the lows either. Not as low. He doesn't have, he doesn't have any 30s and 40s. Well, he's got a couple 40s, but they're very high 40s. It's almost all, honestly, it's almost all 50s with a couple 60s and low 70s mixed in for a run-blocking. And then for pass-blocking, it's... 60s, 70s, and low 80s, right? Whereas Runyon, it's like high 80 pass blocking, but also some 30s mixed in. Wildly inconsistent. Myers is very consistent. Also worth noting, in 2021, Josh Myers played 349 snaps at center. In fact, as I'm looking at this, I'm actually starting to feel really good about Josh Myers. So remember, in 2021, Lucas Patrick was primarily our center. Josh Myers came in and filled in and only played, again, 349 snaps. So he didn't really start until last year, which feels fake because in my mind, he's been our center for a long time. But it was a rough, it was a rough rookie year, right? He played, uh, looks like five games early in the season, and then he went out. He came back week 18, presumably injury, don't remember. 
and then played in the divisional game against San Francisco. And he was pretty much terrible the entire year. Right, just wasn't good. He had a 49 run blocking grade and a 65 pass blocking grade. Then he starts the entire season next year. His run blocking grade goes from a 49 to a 53. Pass blocking goes from a 65 to a 74. In 2021, Josh Myers ranked 19th as a pass blocker. In 2022, Josh Myers ranked 5th as a pass blocker. Are we going to get rid of a top 5 pass blocking center? No, we're not. Zach Tom is not going to take his job from him. I'm very sorry to crush your dreams. It's not going to happen. Now, he ranked 27th overall because his run blocking is terrible, but I'm telling you, nobody cares. I know ideally we'd love to have a Creed Humphrey who is an elite pass blocker and a freaking unbelievably, uh, unbelievable road grading run blocker, but we don't. We have Josh Myers. And unless we can find somebody that is a top five pass blocker that also is better at run blocking, he's not going anywhere. And right now, there's really only two that can do that. It's Creed Humphrey and Jason Kelsey. Those are the only guys, and, and a little bit Corey Lindsley. But he has a 65 run blocking. He's not even doing that great. Ted Karras is the only other guy with a better pass blocking grade. He had a 58 run blocking. So there's two guys in the NFL that are better pass blockers that are also really good run blockers. Two, Creed Humphrey and Jason Kelsey. Even Frank Ragnow, who's known as a very, very good center, um, he's a better run blocker. He was not as good of a pass blocker via the, the, the grades. PFF has their pass blocking efficiency ranking, which is looking at total pressures, but weighting more towards sacks and then hits and then hurries. He ranked seventh. He did give up three sacks, but only two hits and eight hurries, which is a really low number. The only guys that are higher, uh, Jake Brendel, Frank Ragnow, Creed Humphrey, Jason Kelsey, Rodney Hudson, and Corey Lindsley. This is not terrible company. I know he's a frustrating run blocker, but if we genuinely believe he's just a bad center... I think we just have a, a really high standard that we're going to be very disappointed to find out is not beat pretty much anywhere else in the NFL. So, for example, if we just look at um, the NFC North, again, I mentioned Frank Ragnow already. Now, everybody is a better run blocker in the NFC North, but pass blocking, Frank is a 68, Garrett Bradbury is a 63, and Sam Mustafer was a 55. Josh Myers is a 74. John Runyon and Josh Myers just aren't going anywhere. And, again, this was... Technically year two, but was really his, his first year starting. Somebody, I forgot who it was, of PFF or whatever, they put out a, a list of guys um, they're, they're thinking could have a big year three breakout, and Josh Myers is on the list. And I think there's a lot of reason to think that. He took a big jump from year one to year two, which was, again, basically just his first year as a starter, and year three is supposed to be the year that things kind of click for you. At the very least, we should give the guy the opportunity to prove that he can improve, but even if he can't, he's a top-five pass blocker. I, we're just going to have to put up with the run blocking. I don't know what else to say. And for the record, I know Zach Tom didn't play center at all, so it's a different thing, but his grades were almost identical to Josh Myers. He had a 78 pass blocking grade and a 55 run blocking grade. It's like an identical run blocking grade and a slightly higher pass blocking grade. I don't know if we really necessarily should assume it's going to get better if Zach Tom plays center. In fact, I would assume it gets quite a bit worse because I think Zach Tom is more of a natural tackle than he is a natural center. He's not a super big guy in terms of like short, stocky, powerful guy. You move him inside against freaking nose tackles, I don't think run blocking gets better. So um, yeah, I think there is plenty of reason for optimism with Josh Myers. And I, I think he's getting a ton of hate and I don't exactly know where it came from. I understand there's frustration. I get tired of watching him run blocking. It's painful, but I mean, he's, he's just, he's not going anywhere. I don't know what else to say. Anyways, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and look at all of our backup interior fellows. But again, I think, I think that is our interior and I don't really believe there's any reason to think that it's going to change. And we know David Bakhtiari is our left tackle. So it really just comes down to is Zach Tom going to secure that right tackle spot? And I fully believe he will. So it's fun to make it a competition. I don't think there's much competition here. But we'll come back, look at Royce, Hanson, Sean Ryan, Scaife, and Filiaga. <laughs> we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, we might as well look at Royce Newman. He's uh, really the only other guy that's played meaningful, significant snaps. Seen a little bit of Jake Hansen, but meh. So Royce Newman initially came over in 2021, fourth round pick from Mississippi. Six foot five, 310 pounds. And so again, although we kind of have come to conclusions on how we think these guys are, remember 2021 was really his rookie season and 2022 would have been year two and he hasn't really played two full seasons. So we've got year three coming up. We'll see uh, We'll see what we can get out of him. Again, remember, fourth round pick. Plenty of reason for optimism. But um, not the highest graded guy at Ole Miss. Essentially started his last two out of his four years. He had a 60 overall grade and then a 69 grade in 2020. Control yourself. He had a 71 run blocking grade and a 64 pass blocking grade. Um, and all over the place. Right, So right tackle... As a rookie, he was primarily a right tackle, played a little bit of left tackle. Then in year two, almost 50-50 split between right and left. Then, 2019, year three, but his first year as a starter, he played almost all of his snaps at left guard, and then 138 snaps at right guard, so 758 compared to 138. Then, 2020, he goes back to right tackle. So right tackle, then left tackle, then left guard, then back to right tackle. So the, the flexibility is pretty obvious there. Played everything but center. But again, grade-wise, nothing super fantastic. So we pick him up in 2021. He gets thrust immediately into the right guard spot and was pretty bad. He had a 55 PFF grade, 51 run blocking, which is low even amongst our relatively poor run blockers, and a 60 pass blocking grade. He played 1,081 snaps at right guard, three snaps at left guard, and that was it. 2022 rolls around, he starts off at right tackle until Elton Jenkins comes back. Then in week two, he goes back to right guard. He plays right guard all the way up until week nine, when he seemingly lost his job. Then comes back in week 16 to play right tackle, and plays a handful of snaps week 17 at left guard. So just playing that sort of versatile backup wherever you need me kind of thing. But he started as a right guard, and then went on to lose his job. How did he do? Well, he went from a 55 overall grade to a 57. 51 run blocking to 57, and then a 60 pass blocking went down to a 55. So it's been pretty rough, and I know we've all seen it. Nobody wants him on the field, right? It's always a disaster. But the fact that he gave up four sacks, and he essentially started like five, six games, that's crazy. Four sacks, four sits, hits, 10 hurries, 18 pressures. 95.8 pass blocking efficiency rating, which is really low. So Royce right now is a barely capable backup that the Packers are hoping can take some kind of a step. And I'm hoping, like everybody else on this offensive line, we can start putting people in more solid positions now that we have more bodies and we're kind of like, okay, this is officially where we're at. Let's pick a spot for Royce. With that said, though, he's going to have to do something. He's a fourth-round pick, so he's going to get a little bit of grace. He's also got starting experience and flexibility, but... This isn't good enough. This, this isn't even like a, a backup that you feel comfortable with if somebody goes out. This is a backup that you're hoping we need to shove somebody back in the starting role as quickly as possible because this is a liability. So one full year, then he had about a half a year. This is year three. He's got to show some significant strides here because he is just getting pushed further and further down the depth chart, especially with new people coming in, right? 
Now we have Zach Tom. We also have Sean Ryan, who, again, didn't show even close to anything last year. But if he can take a single solitary step forward, I think there's a competition for Royce, at least at guard. You got Rasheed Walker and Caleb Jones, who already today might be more capable tackles. I don't know. But these are two new guys that came in that are, again, pushing Royce out of that spot. So he's got to take a step here. And we have Jake Hansen. He was a sixth-round pick along with John Runyon. So those two guys were two out of three sixth-round picks in 2020 that got picked up. Jake Hansen was a four-year starter at Oregon. Every single snap he took was at center. Six foot four, 296 pounds. Actually graded out quite well. Run blocking wasn't great, but it was consistent. It was high 60s. Pass blocking over four years. And again, he started all four and a lot of snaps. I mean, we're talking 3,500 over four years. But 78, 70, 84, and 77 were his pass blocking snaps. He gave up two sacks in four years. I know centers don't usually give up a ton, but still, that's that's pretty solid. So he is a pure center, although the Packers have been trying to play with that a little bit. He doesn't have a ton of experience, but right away, 2021 preseason, he actually looked quite good. And he played center all through the preseason. He had a 69.7 grade, 66.7 run blocking, and a 75 pass blocking grade. Didn't give up any sacks, gave up only one hit. That was his only pressure in three preseason games. Then the regular season came around. He came out and played five snaps at left guard. That was against Kansas City, so we all remember that game. All five reps for pass blocking, didn't give up any pressures, had an 80 pass blocking grade, so solid. And then week 17, he came out for one snap against Minnesota. Run blocking, give him a 60, completely irrelevant. All right, so fantastic start. Great college career, great preseason in 2021, very limited exposure in... Um, 2021 regular season, but it all looked positive. 2022 rolls around. Preseason. He starts off at right guard. Uh, Week one against San Francisco, he actually took 20 snaps at center, 36 at right guard. So they're trying to push him a little bit. I think they now know that Josh Myers is their center. Jake, if they're going to see if he can be a a starter, we need to see what he can do at guard. Well, for the first time, he kind of didn't grade out very well. His, His run blocking was fine, 74, but pass blocking dipped down to a 54. Then they did the same thing the next two weeks, but it was primarily center as opposed to primarily guard. So it was 40 snaps compared to 17, and then 25 compared to 17, and he graded out better. So his worst game was when they put him at guard primarily. But 70 overall grade in the preseason, 77 run blocking grade, and a 65.5 pass blocking grade even with that bad San Francisco game. So two really good preseasons and a pretty good regular season. Everything's looking great. But then the regular season comes, and it's a bit of a disaster. Week one against Minnesota, they put him out there as the starting right guard. Now remember, four years at center. The entire preseason last year, all center. He took five snaps at left guard, and then this year they've been practicing a little bit at right guard, but not a ton, and he didn't do great. Week one, Minnesota, he is our starting right guard. Awful. 44 overall grade, 60 run blocking, but a 14.4 pass blocking grade. 14. Week three against Tampa Bay, he plays three snaps. Not a ton, but grades out fine. 74 pass blocking grade. And then week six, he's back at right guard. Five snaps, all five pass blocking, 77.4 pass blocking grade. So I know for me and probably a lot of other people, you look at Jake Hansen and go, the guy's a disaster. 100% of our disdain for Jake Hansen playing at guard, at least I'm assuming, I don't know, comes from that week one game against Minnesota. It was such a complete disaster. However, that's one game. He's looked good in almost every single other instance in two preseasons, as well as a fantastic college career. And remember, the dude is a center. He's not a guard. We're trying to force him in there. And remember, the Packers kept trying to force it, and we're like, why do you keep forcing him there? I don't understand why you keep making the guy a guard. It's not a thing. And again, I think that's why. I think he's shown that he can be a pretty quality center, but he's not going to play center. Which, by the way, further reinforces my belief that Josh Myers isn't going anywhere, because I don't see Jake Hansen stealing reps from him. But I do think Hansen is another guy that um, we maybe should be a little bit more patient with. We haven't seen him a ton, and he's actually graded out quite well in almost every instance that we've seen him, with the exception of, again, just getting dropped in the middle of a game, which the whole game was a freaking disaster, by the way. But he got plopped at right guard, where he's never played before, ever, with the exception of a couple snaps in preseason, and it wasn't great. 
Now, all the snaps are way too small to come to any real genuine conclusions on Jake Hansen, other than to say there's no real reason to write the guy off, which I, for the most part, have done, which is part of the reason why I wanted to go through back through this stuff, because, again, we start using mental shorthand with a lot of things. And for me, all I remember is every time I heard Jake Hansen or saw him on the field, it was like, oh, no, please stop trying to make this a thing. It's not a thing. He's terrible. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I don't really have a lot of reason to believe that. And then we get Mr. Sean Ryan. Speaking of written off, <laughs> I don't think anybody has been written off faster than Sean Ryan, especially for being a relatively early pick. I understand third round curse and all, but pretty crazy. So, Sean Ryan, 22 years old, 6'5", 321 pounds, uh, UCLA Bruins, third-round pick, pick 92. So, he's a big dude, and that was the whole thing, right? He, he wasn't necessarily my favorite prospect. I was more of a Zach Tom guy. I like that he's quicker, more agile, better pass blocker. Sean Ryan, big dude, and I was like, well, at least he can be maybe some kind of a road grader or something, be kind of cool. We'll see. But three-year starter at UCLA, tons of growth, 57 goes to a 74, and then an 84 in 2021, which is his final season. He had an 86 run blocking grade and a 75 pass blocking grade. Only gave up two sacks in his three-year career at UCLA playing guard. Actually, you know what? He didn't play guard. He played tackle. I'm sorry. He's a guard in the NFL. He played tackle, which makes it all the more impressive. 1,200 pass blocking snaps, only two sacks given up. That's pretty good. But the problem started right away when even prior to the preseason, Sean Ryan was not even in... Not only was he not getting first-team reps, which he thought maybe he'd have a shot at winning the job, he wasn't even getting second-team reps. He was as far down the depth chart as, as they could trot him out there. We didn't see him in the regular season, but we did in the preseason, and here's how that went. And, and by the way, only played right guard. Now, to be fair, he is a tackle that they're moving to right guard. Do you know how many right guard snaps he took all through his entire college career? 2,267 snaps. You know how many of them were at right guard? Two. Two snaps at right guard, one at left guard. 2,147 left tackle snaps. So they're moving him to the other side of the line and teaching him to be a guard instead of a tackle. So again, patience would make sense. With that said, it didn't go super great. Against San Francisco, 73.8 run blocking grade, which is nice, but a 15.3 pass blocking grade. 15.3. And that wasn't a fluke. Week two, his run blocking dropped down to a 63 and a 17.6 pass blocking grade. Finally, week three, he has a good pass blocking grade, which is good because he actually had the most pass blocking snaps of the entire offseason. In fact, more in week three than he had combined in weeks one and two. And he had a 78 pass blocking grade. Unfortunately, his run blocking went down to a 41. The only good thing about this, though, is Sean Ryan is not versatile, right? They're not going to play him at tackle at 6'5", 321. He's not going to play center because he's never played center. He's going to be a right guard. That's where they want him. That's where they're going to put him. That's where he's going to train. But it's going to take time. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be elite. I'm not trying to convince you of that. What I am saying, though, is he didn't learn to be a Pro Bowl right guard in one offseason. That didn't happen. Will it happen in two? Will it happen in three? Will it ever happen? Is he going to be just terrible forever? I have no idea, but he's 22 years old. It's a complete position switch. Let's just wait and see what he becomes. And again, we're talking three preseason games. Those two terrible pass blocking games accounted for 22 snaps. That's all we're talking about here. Not 22 games, not 22 seasons, 22 snaps. We'll see where he's at in training camp. See if he starts taking snaps with the number twos, which would be great. (laughs) See if he's still at right guard, which I hope he is. I don't want him switching around. Just let him stay there. And hopefully we start getting some more positive, uh, positive feedback. And by the way, just as a note, we haven't really heard his name, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Generally speaking, the names we hear are a reflection of the names that are being brought up by people in the press occasionally you'll hear somebody say, who's somebody that's standing out? And the coach might say, you know, here's a couple people or whatever. Usually it's, how's Christian looking? How's Romeo doing? How does love look? You know, how, how disappointed are you that he threw at that interception? Aren't you just so mad? They're, they're all leading questions. Like I've said a thousand times, a lot of these really give me the impression that these guys have their articles halfway written. They just need a quote and they're just hunting for quotes. So if nobody's asking about Sean Ryan, and nobody is, that's a good reason why we're not hearing 
about him. That brings us to our final two and the lesser known of the two. Let's go with DJ Scaife. So DJ Scaife, six foot three, three hundred and fourteen pounds, out of Miami, twenty twenty three undrafted free agent, five years at Miami, and interestingly enough, got picked up by Miami, at least initially. But while in college, uh, grades were relatively consistent. Twenty twenty one was kind of his breakout, but. 70, 67, 61, 78, and then 68, so high 60s, and then his one big breakout year. Um, His last two years were his really good pass blocking years, both of them in the 80s. This past year, 68 overall, 62 run blocking, 80 pass blocking, two sacks, two hits, 11 hurries, 15 total pressures. As far as where he played, he's a right side guy, 1,580 snaps at right guard, 2,095 at right tackle, In addition to that, 63 at left tackle, and that was just in his first uh, rookie year. Most recently, he was a right tackle, but a lot of back and forth there. Uh, If we look at Dane Brugler, he doesn't really have a ton of information, but he essentially ranked, um, well, he graded 28 different interior offensive linemen. Then he has a list of best of the rest, which he goes on to uh, like 109. DJ Scaife was the top guy in best of the rest. But again, no real breakdown there. Uh, I do see the Draft Network. Kyle Krabs did write up a little bit about him. Basically says he's played right uh, tackle and guard, but he's not going to be a tackle at the next level. He doesn't have the... uh, says he's lacking in both vertical set foot quickness and in the ability to extend and steepen angles for outside rushers. Now, the interesting thing about all this is that the Green Bay Packers have him listed at center. Scaife has not taken a single snap at center. So... This is a complete flyer, and um, I really think if you read, again, the Kyle Krabs thing, they're talking about he really does not have the requisite movement ability. And so I think they're looking at it saying, look, this is a big, powerful guy. He's got some ability. We just need to kind of keep him in a more confined space. Now, granted, centers still need to have some level of athleticism if you're pulling or whatever, but if we can really narrow down that space that he needs to operate, maybe he can have a role in the NFL. Again, I think it's a complete flyer where they say he has no possibility of playing except in maybe this one instance, so let's see if we can make it work. But for a guy that's never taken a single snap at center, it's going to take time, and I I can't imagine the Packers are going to give him the amount of time that is going to be needed to transition to center. So I don't necessarily fully understand the experiment except to say, why not? Let's see if he can pick it up quickly. If not, we'll move on, find somebody else to fill that spot. That's sort of my thought. I, I really don't know why otherwise he'd be stuck there. And that's not to say that they wouldn't also try him at guard, but I just find it to be a little bit weird. And then finally we get Chuck Filiaga. So as I said, DJ Scaife on the uh, Dane Brugler board was 29th. Filiaga was 36th. So out of Minnesota, six foot five and a half, 321 pounds. He is a, or was, a pure guard for, uh, well, in college. He played four years at Michigan, one at Minnesota, so five years in college. Um, Really only, not even really started. He played about two insignificant seasons in 2018 and 2019, two half seasons in 2020 and 2021, then transferred to Michigan and got his first actual start, and he uh, thrived. His best season... Prior to going to Minnesota, he had a 63 grade. In Minnesota, as a starter, 74 overall, 72 run blocking, 75 pass blocking. Um, He did only give up two sacks in his entire career, one of which came in 2022. And then as far as his play, again, mostly a guard. 500 snaps at left guard, 1,016 at right guard, zero at any tackle or center spots. And here is what uh, Tony Pauline had to say about him. Strengths. Michigan transfer who has experience at both guard positions. Quickly sets up off the snap. Keeps his head on a swivel and always looks for someone to hit. Starts with good knee bend. Has good strength and turns defenders from the and turns defenders from the action. Explosive at the point and opens up running lanes. Quickly gets his hands into defenders and keeps his feet moving. Weaknesses. Stiff and cannot adjust. Heavy-footed and ineffective on the second level or blocking in motion. Lacks agility, which hurts his ability to finish blocks. Overall, Filiaga is a massive, wide-body blocker who is only effective in a small area. His lack of agility and inability to move in even a small area will make it difficult for him to get out of camp this summer. So obviously we don't have 
massive expectations for any of these guys, whether or not they're actually going to, you know, make a practice squad, much less, you know, anything else. But just a little bit of information about who they are and what they're doing here. But uh, you know what? There is one other guy in offense we didn't cover, and I'm not going to do just one. Yeah, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. Should I do it today or tomorrow? Henry Pearson, our fullback. Let's just do it. Forgot about that guy. So Pearson is um, a little bit interesting. Five years at App State, and he played tight end. So he's sort of a tight end fullback hybrid, which is what we talked about with essentially Josiah DeGuara. Six foot three, 250 pounds. Grades were pretty mediocre, 63, 66, 67, 61, 71. Um, Okay run blocker, pretty subpar pass blocker, but had a pretty good year this past year as a receiver, although he didn't do a ton of it in the entire season. 32 targets, 25 receptions, 329 yards, 5 touchdowns, 75.3 receiving grade. Strangely enough, for a guy that we're calling a fullback, he didn't run the ball once because he didn't play fullback or running back. He played tight end. So I don't exactly know the intention of this, if we intend on actually using him like a fullback and seeing if he can take handoffs in addition to the H-back kind of role and blocking and whatnot. I don't know, but it's uh, um, if you're able to find any scouting reports on Pearson, congratulations, because I can't find hardly anything. <laughs> I mean, they've got even this uh, Pro Football Network did a, a whole thing on App State players. A lot of these guys you probably never heard of. They didn't do a report on him. Instead, you have to go all the way to the bottom where it says other potential App State prospects in the 2023 NFL draft. In other words, wasn't sure if he was even going to get picked up by a team. So I don't know, man. It'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Just remember that he's there. I don't super think there's any reason for high expectations, but he's kind of going to be in that uh, tight end room, I guess. Be interesting to see how they try to use him, though. Anyways, with that, we're going to get out of here. Have yourselves a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.